And joining us here for the news briefing is Son Ji-un. Ji-un, good morning to you. Good morning, Henry. So we uh, just got past the weekend, and I think the timing of this is that uh, we are at the end of October. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is autumn, and a lot of people... feel that uh, fall is by far the most beautiful season here in Korea, right? That's something we always hear about. And so you have more people encouraged to go out because it's not too hot, it's not too cool. And at the same time, there's maybe a sense after the Chuseok holidays that uh, we were uh, through the initial scare of another resurgence of cases. So we noticed uh, if you go out uh, this weekend, a lot of people out in the parks, Mm. a lot of people in the cafes, uh, people out with their Uh, families, uh, meeting friends in the restaurants, and especially because we are in a less restrictive environment because we are currently at the uh, stage one social distancing level. Uh, So that is fine. However, um, we do have to recall that these resurgence and cluster infections can occur at any time. Give us an update on the numbers because they they are mixed. On the surface, they look pretty good, but the the behind the scenes tell a little bit of a different story, right? Right. So let's look at the numbers from yesterday first. The numbers from the weekend don't seem so alarming as the country reported 61 and 77 yesterday and the day before yesterday, respectively. However, if we stretch out the time span to two weeks, it does seem like we should be worried a bit. The number of daily new infections in the past two weeks, recorded 68.7 on average, which is, in fact, up by 9.3 from the two weeks before then. And of the 68.7 daily new infections on average, 52.9 came from the metropolitan areas, and the rest, 15.8, came from non-metropolitan areas. Now, the numbers from last week are particularly worrying, as the country reported 75.3. Three new cases a day on average for the past week, which is pretty similar to what the country has been reporting um, in the week following up to Chuseok. The bright side to this increasing trend, though, is that the number of cluster infections and untraceable infections are on the decline. In fact, the number of cluster infections from the past two weeks fell by 5 to 21, and untraceable cases in the past two weeks only take up 11.4%. whereas it used to take up as high as 17.4%. Now, despite such promising improvements, though, health authorities warn that certain risk factors will continue to exist. For instance, we are still seeing cluster infections, though not on a large scale, in high-risk facilities, such as nursing hospitals and nursing homes. Yeah, and so you look at it both ways, where the numbers are down overall, however, We are at an area where the average new infections are a bit higher uh, than they were previously. In terms of the cluster infections, though, uh, it's, again, a good news, bad news situation where we're certainly concerned about the um, outbreaks that are occurring Mm -hmm. in these various nursing homes and nursing hospitals. But at the same time, it does mean then that it has been the recent numbers largely relegated to these nursing home situations and less so with, again, the concerns we're seeing with all the people people out in the parks and Mm -hmm. the streets and the cafes. So there's a little bit of good or bad there on both um, situations. But it is, again, a kind of a tired old bit of advice, but you stay vigilant regardless of what Mm. the social distancing protocols say. And if you hear our daily COVID-19 announcements, you'll know that uh, it's a familiar refrain, almost sounds like nagging, but wear your masks Mm -hmm. at all times, wash your hands, 
and do what you can to try to maintain some level of distance with each other. That is advice that I believe the numbers show most Koreans are following mm-hmm. fairly obediently, and that's a good thing. That's not the situation, unfortunately, in the U.S. No. and Europe. Uh, they seem to have now essentially lost control mm. over the uh, recent outbreaks that are occurring now as we head into the colder seasons. Uh, another head of state, in fact, has been found infected with COVID-19. This time it's the uh, Polish president, Andrzej Duda. That's right. So Poland's president, Andrzej Duda, is currently in isolation after testing positive for the novel coronavirus. According to his spokesman, the president is fine, though. Now, Poland is currently seeing its greatest surge in coronavirus cases since the very beginning of the pandemic. And until now, the spread was relatively slow over in Poland. But over the past few weeks, the number of new infections grew exponentially and in the rest of the Europe as well. Uh, In fact, CNN reported that according to analysis conducted by Johns Hopkins University, the top five countries in terms of infection rate are Czech Republic, Belgium, the Netherlands, Switzerland and France, all five unfortunately being European countries. Still topping the list, though, is uh, the U.S. in in terms of both uh, the number of total infection loads and death. According to Waldometer, the U.S. reported 81,414 cases last Friday local time, which is the highest so far. It's definitely not trending in the right direction in Europe. It's certainly not trending in the right direction in the U.S. And the timing probably couldn't be worse for the Trump administration as uh, we are heading into the final weeks of campaigning. And the uh, top of mind, the biggest issue for most voters is the COVID-19 pandemic. And that doesn't bode well for the Trump administration. We're going to talk about that in more detail later on uh, and get some analysis for the uh, elections. But certainly, as we see uh, just from the statistics, uh, it is quite clear that there there is no yet handle on the situation with COVID-19 outside of Korea and some of these other countries that have done a decent job. Let's turn to the big news that occurred over the weekend, Chiyun, and that was the passing of perhaps uh, one of the most influential business figures in modern Korean history, Igoni. The uh, chairman of the largest conglomerate here, Samsung Group, died at the age of 78. He was uh, in a coma for for well over a decade now. Mm -hmm. It's been a long time. And so perhaps it wasn't a shock to the nation in terms of the official announcement of his death. He is the richest man in Korea. He owns more than 18 trillion won in in stocks, not to mention the multiple properties he uh, owns in, in some of the most lucrative markets around the country. So, yes, there's a commemoration on uh, his passing and and what his legacy is, uh, both good and bad, but also a lot of focus now on that money, um, where it's going to go and how much of it is going to be taxed, right? Right. So, like you said, Lee had stakes valued at around 18.2 trillion won. And um, if we break down this into his shares in the companies, he owned 4.18% of Samsung Electronics common shares and 0.08% of the company's preferred shares, which is worth about 15 trillion won in total, and a 20.76% stake in Samsung Life worth about 2.6 trillion won, and a 2.88% stake in Samsung CNT that's worth another 
564 billion won. And last but not least, a 0.01% stake in Samsung SDS, which is worth about 1.67 billion won. Now, according to local tax rules here, a 50% inheritance tax rate will be applied to listed stocks. But on top of that, another 20% premium will be added to the appraisal value of lease holdings, as according to the law, if the deceased is the largest shareholder or an affiliated person to the company, another 20% premium has to be applied. This means the inheritance tax for the 18.2 trillion won worth stocks I listed earlier Mm -hmm. is expected to be around 10.6 trillion won, which is a lot. This is in fact more than what the country had collected in the past three years. Now, Lee Jae-yong, the only son, has stakes worth about 7.3 trillion won, uh, whereas Lee Bu-jin, Lee's elder daughter and the CEO of Hotel Shilla, and Lee Seo-yeon, the younger daughter and the CEO of Samsung Foundation, each own shares worth 1.6 trillion won. Now, their mother, Hong, holds stakes worth around 3.2 trillion won. As the sheer volume of the inheritance tax is unprecedented, experts believe the heirs may choose to pay the taxes over several years, as LG Group did when their chief died. It's a lot of money, and certainly that is why there is uh, a lot of attention paid to how exactly it's mm. going to be dispersed and ultimately how much it's taxed. And there's this fascination, obviously, with these Chebel families in lieu of any kind of a right. um, kind of monarchy or royal family situation we have here in South Korea. However, uh, you mentioned the LG Group. Uh, by and large, uh, the passing of their founders uh, have really resulted in, I would say, a much more positive light. Uh, it, there are different Chebel families and there are different kind of reputations and um, likes or dislikes of how they conduct themselves. Uh, the LG Group is thought of one way. Samsung, um, by and large, as everyone kind of realizes, is the most influential company here in Korea. Indeed, all, all the way to the extent right. that people call the country sometimes the Republic of Samsung because of the fact that they're Um, stock market influence and their overall influence on the economy is so great. Uh, The passing of Egan Yi, who is really the the second generation of leadership uh, after the founder of Samsung, which was Yi Byung-yeo, his father, um, he has detractors and people who, who, um, I guess, praise his legacy. In the political sphere, we're already seeing, of course, officially condolences being paid. Uh, The president, issued his own specific uh, condolences. Uh, he had sent his chief of staff, No Young-min, to pay condolences uh, at the uh, the funeral site of Lee Gun-hee. And certainly this was talked about quite a bit in the political scene as well. Quite a lot, um, though their views were rather divided. Now, the ruling DP and its affiliates extended their condolence over the death of Samsung Group head Lee Gun-hee, yet they expressed hope for a new and different Samsung. They expected change. Now, Ho Young spoke spokesman of the ruling DP commented that Lee has left behind negative legacies such as forming close ties between the political and business sectors and a management without a labor union. He added that these are hurdles the current society has to abolish. Ruling DP chief Inagyan also said that he hopes the group cuts loose its chains from the past wrongdoings and reinvent itself as we go forward. However, the main opposition People Power Party mostly praised Lee's achievements uh, while he was alive. Spokesperson Pe Jun-young said that Lee created the basis for Samsung to become the number one global company in the semiconductor and mobile phone industry. 
Well, the succession issue was always a big controversy as to how uh, the current vice chairman, Lee Jae-yong, has essentially been able to take right. control over. And there has been a lot of uh, conspiracy theory mongering going on as to uh, perhaps the passing of Lee g u n h e e was conveniently announced mm-hmm. right at the time of the eve of the trial for Lee right. Jae-yong as well. And the hope that uh, for his supporters that they get some kind of leniency from mm-hmm. the courts uh, uh, and uh, the, the idea that uh, Lee g u n h e e was basically out of any active uh, role in this company for quite a while now since he was in that uh, coma. Uh, Well, that is the legacy uh, left behind by the uh, Samsung chairman. Let's talk about the ongoing uh, political struggles uh, that have uh, occurred in the National Assembly, uh, particularly uh, the fight over the independent investigative unit that we uh, call in Korean Gongsucha. There has been a lot of delays for this. Uh, it was originally supposed to launch in July. Mm-hmm. And certainly here, now that we're at the end of October, we don't seem to be closer to an official launch of this group. And mainly because the opposition wouldn't nominate committee members who would later decide who would run the unit. They did nominate uh, the members, but it's likely the, the, the extension or this delay is likely to continue even further. Um, the main opposition PPP finally did dominate two members to the committee, and those are Im Jong-hyuk and Lee Hun, uh, who are both lawyers. However, these two members nominated by the opposition hold the right to veto uh, as the rest of the members do, which means the launch of this independent investigative unit won't be easy at all. Now, according to related laws, six out of seven committee members need to agree on a candidate to have the candidate run for the race for the head of the independent investigative unit. But these two opposition members, uh, vetoing candidates after candidates, won't exactly help uh, the committee to launch this unit as a whole. Now, what the People Power Party wants is clear. They want to get rid of this toxic clause in the rules. That is, they want to limit the scope of the unit's investigation to corrupt cases, not crimes related to one's job. They also want the unit to be stripped of the right to indict, the right to finance, and the right to forcibly transfer cases. The ruling DP uh, is thus viewing ways to go around. They are reviewing ways to revise related laws. For instance, it's reviewing whether to change the nomination process so that it's the National Assembly, not the ruling and the opposition parties, that nominate the committee's members. It's also reviewing whether to change the quorum or the majority to more than two-thirds from six out of seven, which is under the current law now. Yeah, and we will talk about this in a little bit more detail uh, during our Radio Salon segment uh, and the debate over the prosecution, uh, the clash between uh, Prosecutor General Yoon Sagyal and the Justice Minister Chumye and all that entails. But uh, right now, this week is really considered to be sort of a uh, climax point for whether this uh, Gongsucha unit gets underway or not with the ruling party mm-hmm. determined to try to uh, get something going, whether it's a revision of the law or getting uh, the power party to cooperate. Another uh, big struggle has been to try to boost the economy, Tiyun, and one of the ways in the long term would be the implementation of this so-called Korean New Deal. Uh, It looks like now the government is speeding up its process towards making this a reality. Right. So the ruling DP, the government, and Changwade held a tripartite workshop at the National Assembly yesterday to review the progress on the so-called K-New Deal. Now, the first minister of the Ministry of Finance said the government has already executed 88% of the 4.3 trillion won that was set aside for this K-New Deal project in the third supplementary budget this year. 
here. He added that the government has set aside approximately 21.3 trillion won for 642 New Deal projects for next year. According to the First Minister, the government is planning to improve some 139 laws and regulations upon listening to the business sector. The general director of K-New Deal project from the ruling party said that he's planning to introduce 10 new laws as part of the project, such as laws on digital economy, non-face-to-face businesses, Green New Deal, climate change response, energy transition, future mobility, green industry, and more. Right. So it's really just the devil is in the details, ironing, ironing out all of the specifics Uh, to this end uh, with 176 members uh, voting in the National Assembly, probably likely that legislation that would be proposed to tweak those uh, facets uh, will be uh, certainly successful there. The success of the overall policy uh, remains to be seen. Let's move on to the U.S., uh, the presidential elections, certainly uh, now very close. Uh, The entire world really paying attention to this. They are going through, as you talked about, uh, the worst pandemic Uh, And they are probably the country that is suffering the most. uh, But despite all of that, uh, Mm -hmm. there are many people who are determined to get their voices heard. Uh, More people voting than ever before. Ever before. Now, nine more days to go till the election day, but more than... 57 million people in the U.S. have already cast their votes. Now, at this rate, according to data from the U.S. Elections Project, it could lead to the highest voter turnout in over a century. The U.S. Elections Project predicts a record turnout of about 150 million, representing 65% of eligible voters, which is the highest rate since 1908. Now, in particular, swing states including Pennsylvania and Florida have shown two to four times bigger voter turnout than the last election. Many are in fact, though, casting their votes via mail-in ballots to avoid having to physically attend the voting booths where contact with a large number of people is unavoidable amid the pandemic. The general thought is, with conservatives, both here in Korea and in the U.S., uh, the more people vote, the worst the outcomes are generally for the conservative right. party. And that's especially true in the U.S. because 2016 with Clinton versus Trump, it was a relatively low turnout mm-hmm. uh, election. This is going to be a very high, a historically high turnout election. And that does not seem to bode well right now right. Uh, for Trump as it stands. We got time for one more story here, June, and this is a, a milestone of global security. Uh, the UN Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons gathered 50 signatories, uh, the last being Honduras, and now it will finally go into force by early 2021. Yes. Earlier in July 2017, the UN General Assembly voted to adopt the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, or TPNW in short, uh, which includes a comprehensive set of prohibitions on participating in any nuclear weapon activities. Now, those those against nuclear weapons obviously welcome the ratification as a promise for a safer future. However, nuclear states, including the UN Security Council members, and those who are under a nuclear umbrella of other states like Korea haven't signed the treaty yet. The U.S. in fact started urging countries that have ratified the treaty to withdraw their support, saying that the treaty turns back, quote, turns back the clock on verification and disarmament and is dangerous to the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, unquote. Now, in a letter that the U.S. sent to the treaty's signatories, the U.S. said that they believe that they have made a 
strategic error and should withdraw their instrument, instrument of ratification or accession. And because of this lacking number of ratifications, many in fact think that this treaty won't be as effective as it's supposed to be. Yeah, do the math of about 150 uh, nations, maybe about a third uh, as uh, people right. who have signed on. So perhaps not as much teeth as uh, anti-nuclear folks would like. All right, we're going to leave it there. Jiyun, as always, thank you for the reporting. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.